be able to stay in touch with you. If there's any needs or prayer requests, you can put them in there. Um, any information that you'd like us to get, we'd love to know how we can serve you and, and bless you in some way. I want to invite you to join me in the book of 1 Peter this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you turn there, I want to share just a couple of things. Uh, the first of which is that um, for those of you who are part of the, the men's study on Sunday evenings, uh, the, that's canceled for tonight. There'll be no men's uh, Bible study tonight at 5. I'll, they'll resume again next week. So I just want to make sure that you are aware of that. Also, as I mentioned while we were praying, that today is recognized as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I'm not sure how long this has been around. I'm not sure exactly who started it even. But as we um, received some materials uh, a number of weeks ago, we just spent some time thinking and praying about how to incorporate that in our Sunday morning service. And it just so happened that the topic of First Peter uh, that we're going to be looking at today uh, is talking about suffering and how we handle suffering as God's people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open up God's Word together. We're going to look at this passage together. And then uh, after we spend some time doing that, we're actually going to take some time here in our, in our service to spend some time together praying for the persecuted church. And we'll talk about that here in, in just a little bit, about what, what that'll look like and, and how we can join together on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world. But if you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse... 18, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Household slaves, submit to your masters with all reverence, not only to the good and gentle ones, but also to the cruel. For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if, when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This passage here is the second exhortation. We said last week that there are going to be several successive exhortations on submitting. And last week we saw submit to governing authorities. And now this week we see here that household slaves were to submit to their masters. Now, for the sake of time, we really can't go much into that. But just a brief thought. Slavery in New Testament times is not what we think of slavery as what the, the blight upon our country's history and what, what came, came a part of our, our, our nation's past. Uh, slavery was, much, it was very much a part of their culture. Paul's not condoning it here. He just recognized that some of them were slaves. Uh, they, they were often um, not treated as objects and that sort of thing, much like, again, what happened in our nation. But uh, these men and women were often indentured because of a debt they held and, and something like that. 
And so they were, they, they were uh, bound to their masters for a period of time. Now, again, there's a lot more that we could say about slavery. We've actually talked about New Testament slavery in the past. Um, but just for sake of time here, what, what, Paul is, or what Peter is exhorting these believers here is that you're, you're in a situation that's not ideal, and you're still called as a Christian to live as a Christian, even though this isn't the, the kind of situation you want to be in. And really, there are a lot of parallels. We could spend a lot of time talking about what this looks like for us in, in the workplace, for those of us who maybe are not in an ideal work situation, or you're working for an employer, or you have coworkers that treat you poorly because of your faith. This is uh, an exhortation that's a great and applicable passage to remember how we're supposed to behave in those contexts. But really, this is a, this is a broader a broader exhortation, and if you're, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we want to think about here is that this is a call to endure unjust suffering. This is a call to endure unjust suffering. These Christians here were, were suffering because of their faith in, in, their, in, their, in their place of uh, employment, where they, were, where they were living, and specifically here, these who were household slaves for unbelieving slave masters or for unbelieving owners. And so they were called to submit in a way that brought honor and glory to God. And he said, listen, if you're doing what's right, if you're living in a way that's holy and God-honoring, and you still suffer for it, well, rejoice in that. Rejoice that you have an opportunity to suffer for the name of Christ even though you're living a holy life. This, this word here used for suffering is to un, un, undergo an experience usually difficult and normally with the implication of physical or psychological suffering. And these believers here were suffering despite being good. In fact, maybe because they were being God-honoring. He makes the clarification, he says, don't don't suffer for doing wrong. He's going to tell us more about that again in chapter 3. But he says, what credit is there in verse 20 if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? Like, that's what happens when you do what's wrong. You, you face consequences. He's like, I don't want you to face consequences or to face suffering because you're living ungodly lives, because you're doing things that are stupid or foolish or dishonoring to those who are in charge of you. So he says here, when you do good, verse 20, when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. As Christians, as we are called to live out a holy life, and, and, and as, we, as we've been talking about, as, as we live as exiles in this world, there is going to be persecution that will come our way. And he says, listen... When you do this, you honor God. He tells us that we should endure this sort of suffering. That we should stick in there. We should be faithful in the midst of it. He says this is a gracious thing in the sight of God or brings favor in the sight of God. It's, that, that word there, favor, is, is the Greek word charis. It's, it's the word for grace. He doesn't expand on the grace that 
takes place in the midst of this suffering, but I think it's, it's, a, it's grace that is bestowed upon us, grace that is imparted to others, and favor that comes down from God because we choose to honor Him in the midst of suffering. None of us sign up, none of us look forward to being persecuted for our faith for being given a hard time, whatever that persecution looks like. Maybe it's verbal ridicule. Maybe it's loss of relationships or loss of a position at work. There could be things as severe as imprisonment and physical beatings and even being put to death as what has happened throughout church history and even happens in our world today simply for naming the name of Jesus Christ. But over and over and over again, the testimony of scriptures, you can read it in Romans 5. You can see it throughout uh, all of Paul's letters, in fact, and even his example in the book of Acts. Uh, you can see it in, um, in Peter, um, in 1 John, and certainly in the book of Revelation. Over and over and over again, there's this principle, is that God honors those who faithfully endure persecution for the cause of Christ. There is a favor bestowed by God for those who endure, for those who continue to give testimony, for those who continue to rise up and say, no matter what happens, I will not bend, I will not bow, I will not turn away from the God who has saved me. We see it in that wonderful story in the Old Testament, that powerful story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow before Nebuchadnezzar even faced with the furnace, and even thrown into the furnace, they continue to trust God. In that situation, God, God preserved them. He saved them. He doesn't always do that. He doesn't always promise to preserve our physical life, but He does promise to honor if we endure. He says that this is our calling. Verse 21, for you were called to this. This is not just for those who are slaves. That's not just the context here. It's a, it's a broader calling to all Christians. Because we see it in verse 14 of chapter 3. Look over there real quick in chapter 3, verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Look down at verse 17. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. Peter will have more to say when we get to chapter 3 on how we endure this suffering. But I just want you to see that, secondly, it's, we have the example in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our example on how to endure unjust suffering. We don't have to make up our own rules or try to concoct our own idea on how we get through this or how we're supposed to live in the midst of suffering. We look to Jesus. He said in verse 21 of chapter 2, For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Jesus is our example in unjust suffering. We see here that, uh, first of all, we see that there are uh, two purposes in Jesus' death in, in this passage. We see that he suffered for us, that he is, he is our substitution. This morning we get to celebrate communion at the end of our service today. We're thinking about Jesus, Jesus' substitutionary work on our behalf. He took our place where we deserved 
punishment and death because of our sin, Jesus took that upon himself. The, the body, the, the bread represents his body that was broken for us. The juice represents the blood that he shed for us. We have in Jesus an example of suffering. We also, or we, we, we see that he suffered as our substitution. We also see that he's, he left us an example through the way that he went through this. Despite all of the ridicule, the beatings, and the unjust atrocities that were committed against him. Verse 22 says he didn't sin in any of it. He didn't sinfully retaliate at all. Verse 23 tells us he did not return insults. We're also told he did not threaten. He didn't come back demanding his own rights, demanding that he be treated fairly. Instead, it tells us in the text that he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. What a profound statement. Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He put himself in the hands of God. He says, I'm, I'm giving myself over to you. This, this word translated entrusted himself, it's, it's a Greek word that's most commonly translated as hand over. And it's often used of Jesus, and, and specifically, it's used over and over again in his, his last hours of, of being led to the cross. Matthew 26 tells us that Judas handed Jesus over to the priests out of greed. In Mark 15, we see that the priest handed Jesus over to Pilate out of envy and self-righteousness. Then we see in Matthew 26 that Pilate handed him over to the soldiers out of cowardice and fear. But Jesus, on the cross, we're told, handed himself over to God for vindication. He was the one who said, I'm going to trust you with my life, with how to respond, with how this is going to turn out. In fact, as we think finally about how we endure unjust suffering, that point of Jesus' is life and behavior is, exception, is exceptionally important. You see, I, we've said it before, we're, we're in the United States. Things are definitely changing in this country, but I mean, we're not, we're not here this morning illegally. We could belt out those worship songs as loudly as we wanted, even if your neighbor next to you was giving you dirty glares for being off-key. Doesn't matter. We can sing as loudly as we want. There are believers this morning around the world who are whispering their worship songs because the walls have ears and they don't want a neighbor to call the police on them. There are those who are passing around torn copies of the Word of God because they don't have them. Uh, they don't have copies to themselves. Their, their countries and their officials will restrict the printing and dispensing of the scriptures. And on and on and on we could go. We are privileged this morning in so many ways. But here's the thing. If we are boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ, if we're standing faithfully for his word, if we're speaking up and sharing him with the lost around us, our family, our friends, I promise you, you will be persecuted. We may not in our lifetimes 
see the place where we're being hauled off to jail uh, across our nation for sharing Jesus Christ with someone. We're certainly seeing loss of jobs. We're certainly seeing loss of relationships. Many of you have experienced those things yourselves. Persecution is a real thing when we stand up for Christ. And there are two things from this passage that I think help us endure unjust suffering that we can see not only through Christ, but through Peter's exhortation. And the first one here is a conscious awareness of God. Verse 19 says, For it brings favor if, because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering unjustly. It wasn't until after I spent some time in this text that I noticed that phrase. Because of. So there's, there's purpose here. If, if we're to endure unjust suffering, one of the ways to do it is because of this conscious awareness of God. Peter doesn't explain that phrase. He just makes the statement and keeps moving in his argument. What I think he's indicating here is this, this always being alert to, to, a, to a, like a, a, it's a God-centered way of thinking 24-7. It comes back to what Paul said at the end of 1 Thessalonians, to pray without ceasing. It's this awareness of the Spirit of God. It's this alertness moment by moment. Like we said last week, that we're, we're in a, in a battle-ready mindset. And we're alert and aware that God is at work through each and every encounter that we have, through each and every trial we experience throughout the day, the good news we get, the bad news we get, whatever it is, God is always at work. And as we experience suffering for, being, uh, for boldly sharing Christ, for living faithfully in this world, he says, listen, you need to be aware of God being at work. Because if we don't, it can begin to look at the circumstances sort of detached from the spiritual realities that are taking place. And if I see someone, if I hear someone talking about me behind my back, I hear stories about that, or, or I, I feel like I'm passed over for advancement at work and it's possibly due to my faith, whatever it might look like, you can begin to see those as standalone events. And bitterness can be, easily begin to creep into our life. We think, that's not fair. I don't deserve that. What's the deal with that? But here, Peter exhorts us to this conscientiousness of God being at work, even and especially in these most trying times. The Puritan John Flavel once, once wrote as he was talking about being abused by others for our faith. He said, seriously propound this question to your own heart. Have I gotten any good from the wrong and injuries received, or have I not? What, can you not find a heart to forgive one that has been so instrumental, that has been instrumental of so much good to you? That's strange. When though they meant it for evil, yet if God has turned it for good, then you have no more reason to rage against the instrument. You hear what he's saying? When someone is persecuting us, if we see that God has done good through that, maybe, maybe our faith has been strengthened. It's, it's allowed for some other conversations to take place. 
He says, why should you be upset if God's bringing about good through this evil? Maybe instead be thankful that, that other people have now heard the gospel, that your faith has been strengthened in ways that maybe it would not have been had you not walked through this persecution. Being consciously aware of God in unjust suffering means that we're aware of His daily sustaining presence. And we're aware of His sanctifying work, of how He's working in our own hearts during these times. The second thing I noticed in this passage that helps us endure unjust suffering is verse 23. It's the example of Jesus. We touched on it already. But it says, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus looked to the Father, and he says, you are a just judge. I'm putting myself into your hands, and I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of this at the end of the ages. We may not see God's justice enacted while we're still here on this earth, but God always deals with sin always deals with sin. For you and me, if we've trusted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, for us it means that Jesus took our punishment upon him. He has borne the wrath of God, the justice of God for our sin. But for those who don't repent, for those who persecute God's people, for those who do commit unjust atrocities, wicked atrocities, whether to God's people or to the world in general, God promises even if they don't see justice here on this earth, they will see it one day. That's why Paul reminds us in Romans 12, 19, he says, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. This is the whole reason why we don't get payback as Christians. We don't get to go and get revenge. Because we're trusting God the Father to take care of the wrongs that have been done to us. This morning, though, I wanted to briefly talk about how we can handle unjust suffering. But I also want us to take a, a few moments to consider how our brothers and sisters around the world are facing this. Some of us could give some testimonies to some persecution, ways in which we've been injured for our faith. But not to minimize what you and I may have experienced, but let's be honest, uh, it's, it's not much compared to the things that go on, whether or not you've heard stories. This, this, is, not, this is not first and second century stuff, my brothers and sisters. This is, these are realities that believers live with today, of being hauled off to prison, of um, losing life and privilege and statuses. We, we talk to people. My wife and I lived in China, and this was over 10 years ago, that would sometimes just simply get relocated. They would just be told they have like 48 hours notice, and the government was moving them to a completely different part of the country to sort of separate them from believers that they would know and worship with. Sometimes it's just as quick as that. Others would disappear into prison camps, never to be seen or heard from by their family again, simply for following Jesus. I want us to take some time this morning to pray for our brothers and sisters, and I'm going to give you some instruction on that in just a moment here, but before we do, I want you to watch this short video clip that will sort of give us a little bit of insight into what uh, some of our believers around the world are wrestling with, even this morning. 
is Cappadocia. First mentioned in the Book of Acts, an ancient home for Christians for thousands of years. But it isn't just a home, it's also a place of refuge. God has used this place to help Christians for hundreds of years. Christians fleeing invaders, persecution, and certain death. And here, walking in the footsteps of thousands of faithful Christians, I'm reminded of how God used this place to keep his church alive and growing. But in many countries around the world, this is not ancient history. Millions of Christians face this reality on a daily basis. Around the world today, over 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. That's one in seven Christians worldwide. The problem is impossible to overstate. And yet, each of those people who suffers has their own Cappadocia, a secret place that God has provided a refuge and peace because no Christian suffers alone. When brothers and sisters around the world stand with them, persecuted Christians know that even in the harshest of circumstances, they will not be forgotten and left without hope. That's part of our DNA as Christians. When you stand with God's persecuted people, you're bringing the reality of Cappadocia to Christians all over the world. افرادی هستن که با من هستن افرادی هستن که با درد من گریه میکنن افرادی هستن که برای من گریه میکنن و دعا میکنن این برام خیلی قوت قلب بود چون که اگه اونجا قدرت خدا نباشه تو اون مکان شما نمیتونی طاقت بیارید This year we've made it easier than ever for you to stand with your family in prayer with the 2022 World Watch List as you read it, see what God does in your heart and what he does in the hearts of your brothers and sisters as he provides refuge as he's done here in Cappadocia for over a thousand years. Join us in 2022 because we're one church, one family. It's easy to forget those who we don't see on a regular basis, and it's easy to just not consider those that maybe are, I mean, they're not, we don't know any of these people firsthand. We've never met any of them. We've never uh, had conversations with them. They've never been in our homes, nor us in theirs, but um, remember that they're 
fathers and mothers, their brothers and sisters, their sons and daughters. We can all relate to that. We all have family members. We all have those who are close to us that we love. As we take some time to pray this morning, I want to just invite you to uh, keep that in mind. Um, here's what we're going to do. This is a little bit um, out of the ordinary, but I think it's that important. I, I want us to, in just a moment, um, either uh, with people you know or don't know, um, it, it, just take, let's take some time to pray together for these believers. Um, feel free to get as loud in here as you want. Uh, I'd love to hear the voices of God's people uh, rising up on behalf of our brothers and sisters around the world. If, if, if you're much more comfortable praying by yourself, that's okay, but I would love it if, even if it's just a family member, one other person, uh, just, just lean in and, and let's begin to pray for these brothers and sisters. And if you're not sure how to do it, uh, you got this in your bulletin. And as part of, part of this, there's actually a, a, uh, a bookmark that can be torn out. So I hope that you take this home and save it. And it has 10 ways to pray uh, for the persecuted church. And so that's one, that's one way that you can sort of guide your prayers uh, on, on their behalf here this morning. I just also want to mention, too, as you leave today, if you're interested in knowing a little bit more, there's a little larger prayer guide out on the, the Welcome Center. And uh, the, the video that that came from, we, we're going to, when we include the, um, we sent out the email reminder for our time of prayer and fasting on Wednesday as we, we're going to dedicate some more time on Wednesday to pray for the persecuted church. We'll have the links so that you'll have some more information specifically about some of these persecuted, the, the countries where persecution is the highest and some of the things that are, that are going to take place. In just a little bit here, we're going to have communion together. But I, I want to, let's just take some time. Uh, however that looks to you, with a group of people, uh, just by yourself, one-on-one -on -one with somebody. But let's begin to pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted around the world this morning.
My hope and prayer is that you'll continue to pray for our brothers and sisters, not just because it's a special emphasis this week, but because this is a, a daily need uh, around the, our world and in, our, um, uh, in the nations, um, even, even near to us. We have the privilege of celebrating the Lord's table together as believers this morning. And as we remember our persecuted brothers and sisters, we're reminded of the importance of the body of Christ and being able to enjoy this, the Lord's table, as, as God's people together. And so um, as we take the bread this morning, we're reminded of the body of Christ. The juice reminds us of the blood of Christ that has redeemed us and brought us near to God today. If you've never had communion with us here before, uh, I just want you to know that here in just a moment, our worship team will begin to uh, lead us in a couple of songs, or lead us in a song, and um, as, as, we, as we play, um, just feel free to come up out of your seats and come to one of these stations. If you, uh, if you um, need to have gluten-free bread, we, have, we do have that here at the center. Um, we also mentioned that the, uh, the plates on the table, the empty plates, are for a benevolence offering. If you feel led to give over and above your normal giving that you put in the offering boxes on the back wall, if you feel led to give that way, this goes to those in our, in our church family um, that are in some special need or going through some, some financial hardship, and this allows us to be able to come alongside of them and minister to their physical needs in, in some way. Communion is for the body of Christ. It's for those who have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So if that's you, we welcome you to the Lord's table this morning. If that's not you, uh, save this for that time when you do trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, we also just use this time to remind you to take some time, if you haven't done so already, to quiet your heart before Jesus and to thank Him for His work on your behalf, for bringing you uh, near because of the blood of Christ for making you a part of his family and one of your children. We're going we're gonna to pray now, and then uh, I'm going to encourage you to come forward now. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the chance to take some time and pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Lord, I ask that you would stir our hearts to remember them before you on a regular basis. Lord, I ask that you would equip and, and strengthen us to endure hardship as your followers, remembering the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, remembering that he has gone before us. He's the one that has paved the way for us to be able to endure these um, reproaches for his name's sake. God, I pray that we would remain close to you, and our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution would experience that nearness of your presence as they face these hardships. God, we thank you for the Lord's table. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus, the one who has redeemed us from our iniquities, who has saved us from our sins. God, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't understand or know that, hasn't experienced it themselves, may they be awakened to enjoy saving life in Christ. God, we're grateful this morning. We're grateful that we can come near to you. Lord Jesus, would you minister to our hearts? Awaken our hearts to the gospel. Awaken our hearts in a fresh way to the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus. May we draw near this morning as those who have been forgiven. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please come.
the emblem of suffering and shame and I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of love sinners must
thank you for Jesus. We thank you for communion so we can be close to him. So we can be so close to him. Thank you for that, Lord. We ask now that you'd be with us as we go our separate ways. Help us always to be conscious of the fact that Jesus died for us. It's in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen and amen.